0: Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, the audio home for Resurrection Lutheran Church of Maumee, Ohio. Welcome to today's first study Saturday, and today we've got the audio from a Bible class about the four lenses of Bible interpretation. The audio for this podcast is a little bit different, so I would suggest turning down your volume just a little bit until you get used to it. that we need to wrestle with and deal with and understand, and understand especially how they fit together. Uh, The first voice, of course, is the Word of God, but then after that we have um, our own emotions, the emotional state of the person, we've got human reason, and we've got tradition, and those four things all need to be understood for their proper proper perspective and proper use, Uh, because each of them is good, but... um, but
1: if it's used improperly, or applied improperly, then it can lead
0: to people's strength. You can move bit closer to their person back. the back. <laughs> um, so for instance, there's the, uh, the best example that I can think of that uses all four of them is probably the United Methodist Church. Uh, their basic approach to biblical interpretation is um, follows what John and Charles Wesley had invented that is kind of their, their four square approach. Um, where they they ask, well, here's what the here's what our tradition is, here's what human reason says, here's what human emotion says, here's what the Bible says. And so they, they use all four. Um, you might be familiar with the Roman Catholic Church um, uses tradition a lot, and then after that uses human reason and emotion a little bit. Um, but the problem with each of those isn't that they have them or use those voices, but that those voices take precedence over what the Word of God says. Um, and you can, you can find that in absolutely any church. Um, I just you know, use the examples that I'm familiar with, I guess. Um, but in, in every church, they have to, they have to figure out you know, what is our approach to Scripture, to tradition, to human reason, and to emotion. Like, what role does devotion play in all this? So maybe before we really get into Ephesians chapter 1, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, um, with the understanding that the Word of God is our, our norm and our guide for doctrine, for practice, and for life, what's the role of tradition in our church? And you can understand that question as, what is the role of tradition, and what should the role of tradition be? Is tradition bad? Is tradition good? Is it indifferent? Is it helpful? Is it useful? Is it detrimental? I'll give you, a, you know, a few seconds to think about that. What is the role of tradition and what should the role of tradition be in our own church and congregation church okay. thought? see some wheels turning. Um, maybe we'll start with Tony and they come up here to Andy. I think it gives order to things. Um, changing it is always hard for people. Change is always difficult. Seeing that changes for the better, and the betterment of serving the Lord and His Word. But I think it, tradition in our church seems to give some order anyway to service. Yeah. So tradition, tradition gives some order. Um, where you, you have the same holidays every year, um, some liturgy. If you think of the, the liturgy we use as part of our tradition, um, you know what you're going to get: page 15, or you know the old hymnal, page five, <laughs> page five or 15. Um, you change to a different church, you move across the country, you're going to get the same thing. Well, nice. And I think it
2: can stand as like a bulwark against. Uh, Heresies developing the church, for instance, uh, having the baptismal thought either at the front of the church or, you know, right there when you come into the church, something like that. You know, it's tradition, but it also presents it as being an important thing. And even if it doesn't explain it, it's it's there at the forefront. And so all kinds of traditions, I think, even started as a. Uh, presenting a wall against heresies.
0: Yeah, definitely. So there's um, tradition often includes some symbolism, and it didn't just sprout up out of nowhere, but those were conscious decisions made over a period of time, and, um, and we just kind of walk into, you know, God's church, God's congregation, wherever we join, whenever we're baptized, and that's the, the body of um, tradition that we've got, the, the symbolism and some of the, the practices And and it's important to remember that, especially historically, that each of that tradition we have is the end result of a series of decisions and attempts to remain true to the word of God. Excellent. Jacob? I I think this applies to that point, the fact that
3: you've got to be careful that tradition doesn't pacify us. And those decisions that were made that led to that decision, a lot of the times those struggles and those I guess discussions were lost and and now we just do this because we do this. That after a tradition is so long we need to remember that hey, why do we do this tradition? It's it's not just because of this tradition, it's because of these decisions that were made. So I and I think too many times that part of it is forgotten and we do we, like I said we're we're pacified by it. we do this just because that's the way we do it. Excellent.
0: Um, that that tradition is useful, and most useful, especially when the tradition and the symbolism is, is understood. Like why you do it, what you do, it, and um, where does that come from? Um, you know, for example, for a long time, up until about well, the, the second half of the nineteenth century, you know, the late eighteen hundreds, um, a lot of a lot of pastors both in the old world and in the new, were trained using just a couple of books of um, applications. And it had scenarios laid out and the decisions that were made. Um, And and so the students would just kind of sit all together, and the professor would read through the scenario and what decision was made, and then discuss it a little bit, and then move on to the next one. Um, And so it was a monumental shift in the 19-teens um, when, when our synod um, still had their seminary in La Cuesta, let's walk through those uh, I guess. Um, the the professors at the La Seminary said, you know, let's dispense with all these books on what to do and um, and go back to what does the Word of God say, and make sure that our our men know how to understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God. Um, Really, just getting back to what Jake had said, it was set aside the the body of, you know, in that case, um, more or less, less than helpful tradition in favor of going back to the Word of God and discovering why we do what we do. Um, But as that trickles down to the congregational level, we don't have to, you know, remake the wheel. Um. But we do have to consciously think about why we do what we do. You know, why, do we, why do we stand um, for the gospel reading? Um, why do we have that little hallelujah bit before the gospel reading? Hallelujah is like, um, the church is equivalent. Like, you're or everybody's hearing like that. Like, here, here's the big moment, you know? Um, and we stand because, for the gospel reading because that really connotes you, you are, these are the words and works of Jesus. And yes, he is present throughout the entire worship service. Um, but we stand especially out of respect for this, not just because everybody needs to stretch their legs before the end of the day the sermon.
2: Yeah. And uh, tradition does present an opportunity for people that uh, maybe can't read, can't uh, can't be as aware with all of their senses as uh, you know a regular adult. So if you have a child or if you have somebody who maybe is is losing their grasp on memory and things like that uh, in their elder years, they can still participate in worship with their brothers and sisters um, because they know these things from tradition. And so to me, you know, you can't replace that. That, That's awesome. And the Lutheran church with, with their liturgy, is probably one of the few places you can find toddlers that can't even read yet, that somehow they know parts of the liturgy and they can worship with us. Um, And the same would go for somebody who is in a home and has lost most of their memory, yet they still remember parts of the liturgy because they've been doing
0: it since they were toddlers. Excellent. Um, So maybe your experience was similar to mine, where you basically learned to read at church. Uh, sitting on mom's lap as she pointed out the words of the hymn for you know every hymn. Um, or standing and sitting and you got the oh we have the nice it's so long we have to stand for and uh, for four-year-old <laughs> stand along with the or the Lord's prayer. Uh, or you know, I've, I've made visits to um, like one man back at the previous church. Um, his his memory was fading very quickly and he didn't know didn't know what day, was, what season it was, where he was, how old he was. But when we get to, um, we start going through the, the liturgy, and he's like, New Confession of Sins, um, there were some times when I was actually able to commune because he was totally with it after going through all the worship liturgy, you know, basic worship service, up to the point of the community. And he's like, wow, he's, he's totally you know, the same old man. Um, But then, you know, a few minutes after that, then, you know, it's not quite there. Okay, excellent. So that's tradition. Um, Next one. What about emotion? Where does emotion fit? Is emotion good or bad? What's a good use? What's a bad use? You ladies first. Start with Desire
4: then I'm over Emotion and worship. Um, I think that if you if you're hearing the word of God and you feel nothing, there's, I think that you should definitely be in the service.
0: Lord, it wasn't just empty mouthing, but like, hey, it's Sunday. Um, or, you know, I, I see it in a lot of, of cases. I, I don't talk about it
1: much, you know, um, but
0: when I preach, I'm up there and I get to see all of you, just as all of you kind of kind of watch me, and um, just speaking generally, I can, I can see what points I need to emphasize or repeat or even skip over in the sermon that I've got planned based on some of the reaction that I'm seeing. Like, do I have to um, Go on with God's law For three more paragraphs Or does it look like everybody's kind of grasped what I'm saying and applied to them Themselves already That's, that's something emotional um, Or do I have to Go back and reiterate The gospel point And, um, and maybe remember you know, That the gospel has an effect on me too That you know, if I were just a pastor And stood up there, Jesus loves you He's going you heaven Well, have a good day <laughs> um, Walter makes that point in his treatise on long and gospel, or his series of lectures, that um, it's okay to let the, let God's word have an emotional effect on you as a pastor, because um, it gives everybody the confidence to kind of say, yeah, this this should affect me and does More on, uh, a little bit more, <coughs>
3: No need to cry over. Um, But God tells us, you know, in His Word, love the Lord your God with all your heart and and with all your being. And He made us emotional for a reason. Yeah. All right. I think
2: where it gets a little off track is if you base everything on your. That part of scripture isn't important because it really didn't get me worked up. Yeah. Or, you know, that's the only part I'm, I'm going to focus on because I really get worked up on that part. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, excellent. That, um, when it comes to our, our time with the Word of God and the parts of the teachings that we emphasize
0: or go back to, um, we need to recall that all of God's Word Still, the driver's seat where we maybe need to spend more time in parts that don't feel like they're the most lovey-dovey or emotion-driven because it's important because it's God's word. Um, And, you know, when Jesus says the the manager of the storehouse brings out the the old treasures and he brings out new treasures, what he's saying there is that you're tying the word of God um, and encompassing the whole Word of God instead of just you know sticking with the four or five things that you really absolutely love um, your time with the Word of God will result in the Holy Spirit leading you to a deeper understanding of the things that you didn't understand before and to more application of God's Word to your own life um, that maybe wasn't there before uh, Andy and Antonio
2: um, Emotion I would, I would rank as one of the more dangerous things that can lead to false teaching because uh, throughout scripture we see examples of where emotion led God's people astray and we see that in today's American churches uh, big time but you know you have the Israelites when Moses is up on a mountain the picture we have is they're basically led astray by emotion and also in today's uh, church emotion uh, is so deceptive I mean it's not even funny it's Typically, you do get it, and you can have an emotional response from law and gospel, which can be good. That shouldn't drive uh, the way you shape service and, and the way God's word is taught, because our emotion is deceptive. You can have a totally wrong emotion. It's, it's kind of like conscience, uh, to the effect that it can lie to you. So you, you don't you don't teach God's word based on your conscience. You know, or on your emotional response to things, because it can lie to you, and it often does.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, so emotion is um, one of those things that's also very, very volatile, um, powerful. So we need to we need to be careful. And, I mean, some of us are more emotional than others, um, and, and you made a good point
1: about um, by and large the the understanding of the Holy Spirit.
0: This idea that my emotion is is this Holy Spirit, um, which is a very subtle but very dangerous change. And keeping in mind, you know, touching back on tradition for history, um, in uh, frontier America, you know, most of the 19th century, emotion was used as the primary tool to get people into church. manipulate their emotions to a point where they take a, make their own decision for Christ or a confession for Christ. Um, so, obviously, the, the, the doctrinal background is wrong. Um, but even to today, a lot of um, evangelicalism is built on wrong headed emotion and letting it do a lot of the driving where it really should. Uh, Tony in the desert. That's kind of where I was going. Oh, no, sorry. That's okay. Uh, we have a generation growing up with stimulus every seven seconds. You got to have a change of stimulus, or or they're going to leave, you're going to lose them, and that's leaving letting people away from church. They're going to find that church that gives them that stimulus, whether it's the word of God or not. They don't care. They just want to be stimulated in the pew, and they don't care about the word of God. And you know, with phones and internet and television and multimedia it's just exploded and um, that's led to people leaving uh, the Word of God and seeking emotional yeah so that, that's definitely the dark side is um, you have you, you, end, you could end up with a place or a church that has some of the trappings of Christianity but the best you get is some Jesusy emotional hot. Um, which really has
4: nothing to do with Jesus, does it? Um, mine's kind of similar to that, with it's, um, having, having a worship service directed around trying to encourage an emotional response. Um, really, it becomes light in God's Word. And I think that for a church that does that, we, I belong to one growing up. Um, it wasn't like that when I was growing up, but it's definitely like that now. Um, where you go, and the whole time the lights are dimmed, and there's a screen playing, and you can't sing a hymn without a video of it going on. And the people who come out of that and go to our, to our MLC, our school, and like our training system go to the normal church and they they feel like they can't worship because they're not involved, they're not emotionally involved, they're not being they feel like the gospel isn't reaching them or the, the word isn't reaching them because they've been misled to think that
0: it had been all along yeah and that's that's really the danger is that that if what you're seeking is the emotional feeling and
2: it is very addictive. Yeah. So if, if you're at that point and you really need to repent and you do and you don't feel forgiven, exactly. That now what's means.
4: happening? And that's one of the biggest attacks on a Christian is is feeling like you don't feel like you're like you understand it or you don't feel like you believe or you don't feel like you know. We all go through doubt, but if you have a whole faith that's based on, you're going to feel it. If it's there, you're, you're right. Then you start so doubting, you know, like do I believe in the right God?
2: Is this, you know, it presents all kinds of questions. And that's where, um, that's where the, the gospel,
0: and like the true gospel, not what's presented as a gospel in so many other churches, but the gospel is objective. Um, God's declaration is true no matter how you feel about it. Uh, whether you believe it or not. Um, if you don't believe it, you're rejecting what God has said about you. And you're, then you're bloods on your own path for all eternity. Um, but the, the only resource is to go back to the revealed word of God and then um, eventually you have to cut down the idol of, of emotion if that's gotten to be too big. Uh, last voice, human uh, reason. Is it good? Is it bad? What is its purpose? Well, or I is it. It, it seems like it would be primarily bad in uh, looking at matters of faith, only because if you take logic and reason and apply it to something that cannot be explained by logic and reason, you come out in the bad area. Yeah, yeah. If um, in terms of faith, where you're trying to figure out the Trinity or the Virgin Birth. Um, and you say, well, this has to be reasonable. It's, it's either my reason or the word of God is right. Um, do I make God's, God's word submit to my reason or my reason submit to the word of God? How can the human reason be a good thing or beneficial? A lot of God's word makes sense. A lot of God's
3: word makes sense. Good. Well, without, without human reason, we wouldn't need faith. What do you mean? In the, in the fact that, I mean, God gave us human reason. He, he gave us that ability to discern. He gave us that ability to reject His Word or not. I mean, um, I think that, I mean, like I said, faith, without human reason, we wouldn't need faith. Does that make sense? Because we, because without human reason, without us understanding or or Knowing God, or whatever you know, he, he imprinted Himself on our hearts when we were born, He imprinted our law on our hearts, and like I said, it's because of that that's what separates us from dogs or cats or whatever. I mean, you, yeah, that, that's what we have that other living beings don't,
0: yeah. All right, um, so God has given humans the ability to. Um,
1: human reason is is not how God has chosen to reveal Himself, and so therefore we need faith to know the true God. Um, and we
0: also define faith as having kind of three aspects. You've got knowledge; you need to know who this God is. Um, trust, trust that you know this is the God who has saved me. And the other word they use is assent, like um, basically.
1: Bottom of the head to say God's
0: will and God's word is right um, and, and trumps what I have to say or think
2: about uh, Tony and then Roman well, I was just going to say that human reason can be useful too when you're trying to explain to other humans God's word and it can be bad too when you're trying to explain God's word you know it play yeah
1: German, um, Or if you're talking with a friend, and you know what's the point of contact? Is it you know you want to talk about marriage? You want to talk about uh, evolution, um, politics? All of those Bye. things involve,
0: yes. involve human reason Wait. and no, All of those things involve human reason and the way people think in this work In the world, and um, even though our human reason is fallen, oh. we still have uh, limited free choice in external matters. And we can still discuss discuss things on the basis of human reason, and um, you know, think of our, our cactus. Organizing the cactism involves the use of
5: human reason, but that reason is the servant's work done. No, no, I think uh, Gabe hit it on the head from the standpoint of you have to be very careful uh, from a human reason standpoint because. We have we have our old Adam that will certainly get in the way, and as we as we go through Scripture, you know, um, just looking at at other friends of mine, uh, childhood friends that are maybe in other uh, church bodies, and the way they use human reason to justify, um, you know, what they believe, what they do. yeah, to where you know the Bible is what it is and. You know some scriptures are very pointed and they're hard to accept but it is the word of god and human reason could get in there and if you're going to pick and choose you know you're you're just going off the cliff
0: excellent um yeah so human reason uh, can definitely all those things can lead people astray but all of them are useful um as long as God's word is still the, the deciding factor in all of it. Um, you know, tradition is useful because as long as you know from God's word why you do what you do. Um, the emotion, you know, the purpose of, uh, one of the purposes of worship is is to let God, you know, to touch emotion. <laughs> That's the way Professor Teeple, our worship Professor are, to touch emotion but not manipulate emotion. There's a big difference between the two. Um, you know, it's okay. You know how Lutherans
1: cry. You know they just sniff and rub your doses a little bit. Um, you don't need to go out of here weeping every Sunday, but <laughs> <laughs> um, oh <boy>. yeah. <laughs> no on occasion, oh right there's <laughs> a couple of
0: jokes But on uh, occasion, the, the there's there's like a third phrase or a particular application that just kind of hits you in a new way, or. Or specifically it applies to your life, and that that's okay. Um, but we don't come to church looking for that um, emotional hit because we're not addicts to emotion. We, we want to know what does the object of the word God say. Because um, you know, First John, um, God is greater than our hearts, and when our hearts condemn us, He knows the truth. Because emotion can lead you astray, and uh, sometimes our emotions say, "I don't I don't feel like you, and I don't feel like a Christian," but God knows the truth. Um, and then Human Reason. Um, human Reason fantastic book called The Foolishness of God. I'm not sure if we have it on the bookshelf back there. But it's basically, it's one of those books that um, I try to reread pretty regularly because, from a human standpoint, it helped me to address some of the, the major questions I had and, in a sense, um, helped to point me in the right direction and save my faith, <laughs> not to overstate things. Um, but it's Dr. Siegfried Becker's um, basically doctoral thesis on Luther's view on human reason, um, and he said, "Yeah, human reason is a good thing, but human reason is also sinful and fallen, and will lead you astray.
1: <laughs> yeah, will lead you astray um, at the
0: first chance it gets. So with that, um, those are the, the four voices we have to contend with, and and especially in the doctrine of the election. It uh, probably presents a major challenge to human reason um, and, and a little bit on the other, other fronts as well um, emotion and uh, tradition. We'll pick it up in um, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll just go for five or six more minutes here, I think, so we can at, uh, at least get into it. Uh, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 1, uh, verse 1. Following the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace be from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very, he, he spent like two years there as pastor, and so he did a lot of teaching and preaching. Um, but the very first doctrine that he launches into is predestination. And this is a good thing. Um, he writes. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, you can almost have that as the theme for the entire book. Okay. Uh, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons to Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has has freely given to us in one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Uh, That is the end of time. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Um, So we will pause right there. Looking at that section, let's try to pick out a couple of the verbs. The things that God has done. Just kind of read through that chronologically. What has God done? Justin chose, Chose, adopted. For- forgiveness, redemption. Yeah, giving us forgiveness, forgiveness and redemption. And the lavish on us. Lavish the grace on us. Uh, verse 9 He made known to us uh, these things. Um, next one. in um, What's the. Let's figure out how many times he refers to Jesus and his and his blood or his death or his forgiveness in Jesus. Just in these these couple little verses here.
2: Yeah,
1: how many times does Paul say that um, this
0: predestination happens in Jesus? Or, how many times does Paul refer to um, the, the atonement by Jesus Christ?
1: It yeah, it's about it four times. Um, so, even as, as we launch into this, we see
0: that the, the predestination and the, the election is never separated from Christ's death on the cross, but rather it's. The eternal purpose of God is accomplished through Christ's death on the cross. Um, mm-hmm. Next one, what's what would you say God's purpose is? Now, looking through this this that we can tell you a bit. What, um, couple of different purposes that you might think of. But what was God's purpose in this, this predestination and this uh, salvation? Does it like saying it? Yeah, in, um, in in doing it. Oh, in doing it. Yeah, why, God, why did God do this? What does Paul say? So that we may never feel like court. we contributed to it. Well, it in yeah. any way. So we don't feel like we contributed. According to his pleasure and his will. Yeah, according of course his pleasure and will. Um, verse 6. Um, so the praise of his glorious grace um, is, is kind of one of the, the big thoughts in this section. Um,
1: and he kind of reiterates that all the way down in verse
0: in verse 14. Um, and then through, actually throughout all of chapter 1. So maybe that was a little bit cheating on my part. Um, but God's purpose in all this was for his own praise and glory. Um, because you remember that God's greatest glory is, is revealed to us in his forgiveness of sins. you good for me. Um, finally, what... Um, yeah. Look at verses, verses four and five. There at the end of verse four, um, that in love, um, he he repeats that, that love for us time and time again. That God did this in love. God accomplished this in love. Um, he chose us in love, all in the praise of His glorious grace, um, which He has given us to one who we love um, Finally, going by going by verses. Let's try to get the chronological sketch that Paul kind of lays out, which, which is a little um, deceptive, perhaps. But what's kind of the, the order of things? What does God do um, in verse 4? He chose us before creation. Alright, God chose us in Him before creation of the world. Um, what does God do in verse 5? To the praise of God's glory is grace because he predestined and redeemed them in Jesus Christ. And this was accomplished and planned
1: out from before the creation of the world. And it will be visible at the end of the time.
0: So that's that's our little bit of an intro. Um, we'll, I'll just read through that a little bit more. Maybe I have a comment or two. Uh, so we're looking especially for the praise of God's glory and how he did this in love. Through Jesus Christ, verse three. Praise be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us to the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times we have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, given Christ so, I guess to summarize this first little glimpse today, is with the, the voices let those four competing, the three other competing voices just recede into the background for a minute um, you know, the, the tradition the emotion, the human reason say, what does God's word say here? That, you know, speaking to Christians, lay out for us there in verse one uh, speaking to Christians, God says that He had Jesus in mind, and he had you in mind, before he created the world. And he chose you to be his own, in Jesus Christ. And he made you his own, and gave you forgiveness, in Jesus Christ. And on top of that, he has expanded your understanding, so that we begin to understand and contemplate this mystery of God's grace. And the mystery is that God himself had planned all this out, for your salvation. And um, with the express purpose of. Demonstrating his love. So that we in turn would praise him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the praise of his glorious grace. <laughs> Which uh, like five more times. Questions or comments. We'll talk about this a little bit more in two weeks. Because there's a lot more that the Bible has to say. But um. Any, other, any questions or conversation that jump out? Because I can incorporate that a little bit more into our Bible class for two weeks. Who's we that? What is that, five? No, thing Alright, we'll close with prayer. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for your grace to me and your Son, Jesus Christ that you had me in mind and chose me to be saved before the creation of the world, and not only that you had me in mind, but that you accomplished this and brought me to yourself, lavishing your grace and your wisdom upon me, grant that I may understand your love for me in Christ Jesus, that I may praise you more fully and completely, both here on earth and forever in heaven, through Christ our Lord. Thanks for joining us. You can find us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at 2250 South Holland-Sylvania Road or
1: follow us on Twitter at RaisedWithJesus. God bless your day.